You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. This is a special show, my friend. A very special episode. I have been waiting to sit down with former White Sox organist Nancy Faust since I started this show. Five years ago and over 500 episodes ago, I remember in the first couple of weeks, I sat there and I listed people I would love to have on this show eventually. And one of them was Nancy Faust. Oh, yeah. Nancy Faust, a former organist for the Chicago White Sox, uh, decades upon decades upon decades out there at the ballpark. When you were a little kid, you went there, you saw her. She was that person that you interacted with because you didn't get to interact with the players as often, and you didn't get to interact with, with the broadcasters as often, and you didn't get to interact with, of course, the front office or the manager. Who, who are you going to interact with the ball game that was actually a part of the team? You were interacting with Nancy. And, you know, I was upset when she left. I think that this team badly needs her and her style back in that ballpark, especially when you're not playing well, especially when you're trying to just enjoy nine innings of baseball when it doesn't matter if they win or lose, really, because nothing's going to come of this season. I mean, don't don't you think at this point you're not even upset if they lose because the more losses, the better to draft pick, right? Like, I'm not rooting for them to lose, but I'm not upset about it anymore. No, I, I mean, you could do the whole thing where you're like watching the standings in reverse, like, hey, you know, they're only uh, 12 games behind the Royals for last place, but you don't want to do that necessarily. I, I I don't know. Win or lose at this point, it just kind of doesn't matter. I'm looking to see if any players take any steps forward. I, you know, I, I'm seeing things about, you know, guys looking, you know, like what is Yoan Moncada? Like, let's get him back in the lineup and see if he's anything. Who cares? He's going to hit in the minor leagues and he's going to come up here and not hit. Right. And, and that's, but that's all you can do is you can just watch and see if there's anything there. And if they win, they lose nothing. But yeah, I, you know what? I can, I could appreciate going to the ballpark right now and, uh, you know, getting Nancy Faust playing LSD instead of listening to Fallout Boy or something like that in between innings. I mean, that'd be great, right? I love how you brought up Lakeshore Drive. I love that song, and I love when she played it. Before I bring her on here, though, quick announcement. Our proud sponsors, Cork and Carry at the Park in the shadow of the ballpark at 33rd and Princeton. You heard their ad at the beginning of the show. You hear at the beginning of every show. Uh, they've got that extensive bar. They've got great food. It's great for pregame. Bring the whole family over there. Come back over for postgame. And, and, and really, it's the spot to be before you go into the ballpark and after you leave the ballpark every game. But it will definitely be the spot to be on Tuesday. Nancy Faust has been somebody they've been trying to get back over there to play since 2005. She she played when they were in the World Series. She was offered a chance to go down to Houston. She instead hung out at Cork and Carey at the original one in Beverly because the Cork and Carey at the park was not there yet. She hung out and played with the fans during game four. And what a way to watch the White Sox win a World Series. And they would have loved to have had her back over the years. But but Nancy's just one of those very private, a little shy, kind of like, I don't understand why, you know, everybody's interested in little old me. And after I interviewed her, we talked a little bit. And I know Cork has been asking her to, to come back. 
and now she has agreed Nancy Faust pregame at Cork and Carey at the park on Tuesday from 5 until 7, Oregon and all. I will be there. Get out there yourself and see it. If you got kids who never got to see Nancy play, get out there and see it. It, it, She's still just the best, and you're going to hear that on this show. Oh, that's going to be amazing. It's going to be fun. Like, I had other plans on Tuesday. I've canceled them. (laughs) She she sent me a text. She goes, I decided to do Cork and Carrie. Uh, I'm going to be there on Tuesday. Are you going? And I was like, whatever you want, I'm coming. Nancy and I are good friends now. Yeah, it sounds like it. Very much the opposite of the feeling I had when I would go into somebody's house and sell windows. I did that for a couple of months right after I got out of radio. That's a strange experience. That's why you should go to Window and Door Superstore of Oak Forest for your exterior windows, doors, patio doors, and storm doors. No high-pressure sales. They're not in your house. You're at their showroom. Everything is full-sized right there in front of you. You're not picking anything out of a magazine, the window etchings, the doorknobs, every example right there. The owner's on site. The owner's also on site when they put in the job. They use all of their own workers. They're not farming it out. They've been doing it that way since 1985. And all the brands are major brands, and they're custom-made, so you get a perfect fit. Check out Window & Door Superstore of Oak Forest, a half block east of 159th in Ridgeland at 6280 159th Street. They're huge White Sox fans, so they're probably thinking the same thing you are. Let's get to Nancy, and I agree. Enjoy this interview. I had a great time doing it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. took a journey to come and meet this lady and and on the phone two weeks ago nancy faust you you said to me i don't know why you'd want to come and talk to me what am i going to say that's exactly right (laughs) (laughs) that sounds like what i say (laughs) exactly And, and my response was nancy you have so much to say and i don't think you you get how many generations of white Sox fans went to the ballpark and you were centerpiece just like the team playing the walk-up music, uh, coming up with those moments. I mean, people talk about Hawk-isms, forget that. <laughs> Nancy Faust-isms, the Herald, Herald, and, you know, Rock and Robin coming to the plate, and, you know, just all those different things. I mean, there's you got pictures up here with Harry Carey, and I remember that Harry used to interact with you from time to time, and just the, the old feeling at the ballpark, and I don't think you get that. You are you are part of White Sox lore. Why, thank you. <laughs> I certainly didn't realize it while it was happening, but um, when I do listen to old broadcasts, I think, wow, that really sounds like fun, and a lot of the spirit comes through, and it makes me miss so much. And I have to say that since I learned how to do Twitter during COVID, I have realized there's still quite a few people out there that remember the old park. Yeah, that, that's a that's a dangerous thing though. Getting into Twitter, especially White Sox Twitter, it can be a can be a crazy, weird, happy, angry, bipolar type place. Uh, I've out learned there. that too. Yeah. 
How did you first get started? Well, um, when I was about four years old, my parents bought an organ very similar to this. It was a popular instrument, or it became a popular instrument. It was called a Hammond organ, and they bought it for my mother, who was a musician. She played violin, piano, accordion. She made her living in music, and it was a very good living. And I re- and they realized I could sit down and just play little simple tunes by ear. So my dad was pretty excited about that. Well, he wasn't a musician, but he was excited about it. And he'd say, oh, you should keep practicing, and I'll take you for that horseback riding lesson, because that was where my love was. I loved animals. So he encouraged me to keep going. I guess when I was five, uh, there was a local talent scout show in Chicago called um, Morrisby Sacks Amateur Hour. So my dad brought me down for, to audition for that. I was playing the song Glowworm, and I won first prize on that show. So that was the beginning, and I always had my mother around to help me, though I never had formal training, which is difficult I, because I never learned to read music. I just relied on my ear. If I hear a song, it's just real easy for me to play it. That's when it all started. And so when I was in, um, when I got a little older and my mother couldn't make um, a function that she had been hired to play, uh, I would fill in for her because I knew all the songs she played. Anyhow, so I learned all her music and um, and then I'd listen to the top 40s too. So I added to my repertoire. So basically you're sitting there, you're listening to popular mu- music, you start, you start working it in. And yeah. that, that helps you when you all of a sudden start playing organ for the White Sox. How, how does that come about? Okay, so my mom wasn't able to make a, um, a function that was um, attended by Stu Holcomb, who uh, was the White Sox general manager at the time. That was in 19, probably 69, and I had just gotten out of college. I was a psychology major because I couldn't cut music, because I couldn't read music, so I switched to psychology. But anyhow, so I was just graduated from that, and I got this letter from Stu, who had heard me play at the lunch, or at the dinner, at the banquet, and he said, if you're interested, the job is yours, because I did express interest. I was encouraged by my classmates that I should be doing something like this. Stu Holcomb hired me in 1970, and, ni- and the organ was located in the center field bleachers, and that was the lowest attendance ever at a ball game. So, <laughs> so they had plenty of room for the organ. And plenty of room for the organ because it was out there, and plenty of time for me to kind of get acclimated to sports. I had really had only attended one baseball game my whole life. I played very little, and uh, there was nobody out there to hear me. There's nobody in center field bleachers, let alone even behind home plate. It was a ghost town. That could happen very soon around here if we don't <laughs> fix things. They might need to bring you back out there oh, and put well, you out of the outfit. Yeah, I'll listen. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that's when I started. Well, then in 1971, Stu Holcomb, who hired me, also hired um, Harry Carey. That was in 1971. And I would be out in center field bleachers listening to his broadcasts on the radio because he had quite a reputation. I knew that this was going to be exciting and that he was the fellow that would help bring fans into the park. So I'd listen to his broadcast and he'd say something that would trigger a song and just uh, who cared. So I'd play a song that would reflect something that he said. So you were going off, you were playing off of Harry's broadcast yes. while you're live inside of the the stadium. Well, I was live in the stadium, but n- nobody knew what I was doing. And right. I don't know, I was in my own world. I don't think anybody paid attention. So he did say something like, oh, you're going to have to carry me out of here. This is uh, such a long game, and this is going to carry me out. When I heard carry me, I played carry me back to old Virginia, and that 
elicited a response from him. And of course, that just fed my my enthusiasm about playing more to respond to things that he said. And eventually he said, well, what is she doing out there in the center field bleachers all by herself? Bring her in behind home plate where there's a few more people. So then the third year, um, his, requ- or his suggestion was um, answered. That's interesting yes. because if you think about this, what you're describing is you get Harry Carey shows up, <laughs> you're playing the organ out in the middle of the center field. You, you don't have, it's not like you're a baseball super fan. You're just kind of learning as you go while you're out there. Uh, you, you're, you're entertaining a crowd of very few people and Harry comes in and he goes, I like this. I like the way she plays off of what I'm doing. Move her in with the crowd. Okay. So Harry Carey is one of the reasons it starts to happen. He for was you. responsible for a, for a big part of my any recognition that I had. Also, when I was hired, my boss, Stu Holcomb, said, you know, it might be nice to do a little fanfare for each player. And he gave me a list of players and their home state. And I knew all the state songs, so I could play... California, here we come. Was it Bart Johnson, perhaps? So I knew all, so that's what I did. That, that was like a fanfare. You might, you might call it walk-up music, but it wasn't quite. It's the original walk-up music. Yeah, you playing might say the state that. song exactly. But it, so once <laughs> it's I, evolved since then. It but. certainly did, especially <laughs> when I moved in behind home plate. Um, then I had fans surrounding me by that third year when Dick Allen came, or you know Harry had people come into the park and groves, droves, groves, and lots of lots of fans, and they would give me fans gave me great suggestions for songs, and, and I'd realize here's a, a name that rhymes with something. Desarcina feels like have you seen her, you know, or Inge. There was a player named Inge. Well, there was a playwright named Inge who wrote Bus Stop. I mean, things got way into the woods, but I learned so much from fans that. That was my, what today would be social media. Wonderful ideas. And then they'd say, well, listen to that organist. Isn't she clever? And all I'm doing is I could play anything. I just couldn't think of anything. And I didn't know the backstory of about a lot of players, but it seemed that the um, the fans knew so much about the players and they imparted their wisdom to me. So by having you behind the plate and you kind of learning a little off of Harry and then talking with the fans, now all of a sudden you become ingrained into what's going on with the team and that influences the music that you're playing. Exactly, and you know, in those days that we didn't have canned music and there was a lot of dead time. So I was also in a position where I could now watch the scoreboard that had messages, no music, just messages. So in between innings or whatever, if I'd see a message up on the scoreboard, Oh, welcome Coca-Cola. I play the Coca-Cola. Welcome Budweiser. Welcome Keebler Cookies. Uh, will you marry me? Every Any message that I'd see, I'd play a little, some, you know, just a few bars to go with the messages. Anything that happened. I mean, a guy loses his, the ball in the sun, and I'd play um, Blinded by the Light, you know. Right. Or, and then the bad boy would bring him his glasses, and I'd play I Wear My Sunglasses. And then I'd play... <laughs> I can see clearly now when you put them and on. So you just have all this yeah. stuff just in your brain. You're yeah. just sitting there and you're you're you you see something you're like, "Oh, I got a song for it." Oh, exactly. Into it. There were so many things. There were rainbows, there were moons, there was sun, there was rain. And you were just basically given free rain. Absolutely. They basically looked at you and said, "Go for it." Nancy. Nobody ever said, "Don't do anything." And yeah. there was all this time I, and I was in my wheelhouse and I guess can you say I was like kind of providing um a soundtrack for the whole game. And people seemed to like it. Nobody ever complained and the fans were happy and I was on top of the world. You worked at, at one point for Bill Vec, and you ended up with a donkey. <laughs> and as I pulled up to your house here, I, I brought my son with me today. And, and, it, and yeah, and I brought him up here today. And the whole time I keep telling him, like, she's got a donkey. 
And he goes, what? He goes, I go, she's got a donkey. It somehow relates to Bill Vec. It's not the original donkey. And he kept going, none of these houses have room for a donkey. And then we found your house. He's like, oh, there's a donkey. There's two of them, actually. That's right. So these are not direct descendants of the donkey that you got from Bill Vec, but you, it got you into owning donkeys. Well, like it all- was, that's, that's how this, you became a donkey owner and now some people keep dogs, some people keep parakeets, you keep, <laughs> you keep donkeys in your backyard. <laughs> well, we realized, well, here's the thing. We all know what a promoter Bill Vec was. Oh yeah. And so he got people into the park just by saying, come on out and have a good time. If you're Irish, we'll have an Irish night. And if you're Greek, we'll have a Greek night or we'll have a country moisture night. He had promotion for everything. And every promotion seemed to involve door prizes to keep fans engaged. The donkey was a door prize? Yeah. So oh, that's like a, he had every intention of handing a donkey to a fan. It's not, not. It's not a good thing. Don't do that if you're listening, Mr. Reinsdorf. He isn't going to do that. No, he wouldn't. Listen, do that. I, I mean, he's not listening. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so that was a door prize that wasn't claimed. Right. And it, the night... Well, of course the, it wasn't claimed. <laughs> somebody was like, hey, would you like this donkey? And somebody looked at it and was, no. I well, don't I did find out later that they, the winner lived in Northbrook, and okay. I don't think there was a place in Northbrook for the... But you had a place for the donkey. I did. I, I did have a place near the forest preserves in Des Plaines. Oh, my goodness. And I had a horse, and I thought, oh, you know, that donkey is sitting there. It was the day after the promotion. <laughs> Just, uh, they were giving it, like, cotton candy or popcorn or something. And I said, well, if you're not... if you." <laughs> If you don't return it to Adventureland, right. that's who had donated it, okay. and they would take it back. And I said, well, could you just say somebody won it? And he said, sure, you can have it. So then I took the donkey. So the donkey gets gets donated. Yes. The donkey is used as a door prize. Nobody wants the donkey. Reject. The donkey spends the night in the ballpark. Exactly. You come I along the next wow. day, and they're feeding the donkey cotton candy and popcorn. Perfect okay. timeline, Chris. And, and you go, I'll take that donkey. It's amazing. Well, what was amazing was that it was from Adventureland and it was very friendly. And as all the kids could, I mean, when we had company, they'd, we'd put four kids on its back. You know, it was just so sweet. And you realized what a wonderful companion that was. So when she died and then we moved out here, I said, wouldn't it be great to have a little barn and we get another donkey? And that's what and we did. And you have, yeah. Yeah. There's two of them out there, right? Well, I, we, or is the was, one something else? Because you have a very, very tiny one <laughs> and you have one that's clearly a donkey. So we moved out here with... 20 years ago, we built this place and I said, well, if we built a little barn and then I placed an ad in a rural paper saying, wanted donkey <laughs> for a loving home. And a woman called and said, I have a donkey. I have that, a donkey. Yeah. A rescue donkey. So she, I Rescue her, donkeys. Yeah. I have a rescue dog. I didn't know there you were do. rescue well, donkeys. I do too. We have okay. Cooper. It doesn't look like he's any worse for wear. That's for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's how the donkey. So then we got Mandy twenty years ago. That's amazing. Yeah, that's and, absolutely. And then incredible. we then uh, people would say, "Oh, you can't have an only donkey. That's a lonely donkey." So after fifteen years, we got her a companion. Right. And I don't think uh, she's indifferent. But the little companion, the miniature, really loves the big. Girl. <laughs> she's going to be very lonely one day when <laughs> then Mandy's you'll have to gone. Get another, then you have to get another donkey. Or, it's or a never-ending train well, of donkeys. Well, coming you know, into they the do live house. long. Yeah. So, Chris, I might have to will that little one to you. Oh, that's great. I think I just, <laughs> How do you like that, Dominic? I think I just got my own door prize here at Nancy <laughs> Faust's place. Nancy Faust and every guest here on Socks in the Basement brought to you proudly by the Village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventure. 
Visit the Village of Lamont, shop, dine, drink, explore, and see everything they have going on this weekend and beyond at lamontdowntown.com. More with Nancy Faust coming up right here on Socks in the Basement. Socks in the Basement listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. And when I was a kid, you know, I was born in 77, so when I was going to the ballpark in the 80s, you were a fixture by that point when I got there, okay? I would show up. My dad would walk me over to see you while you were playing the organ, and you'd be in the middle of a song, and you would lean right over <laughs> out the door, and you'd wave, and every once in a while you'd open the door and say hi, and you'd talk. And I always thought that was the coolest thing because, you know, you're a little kid. You go to a ballpark, and you're what are your only options? You might interact with a, with a player if you're lucky before the game, but everybody's trying to do that. And, and you're basically just kind of there. It's big. It's, it, you know, it's intimidating, but it's exciting. And to have the person that was like doing like all the music during the game to just say, hey, what's your name? And have a conversation with you. That was the coolest thing. And then like I remember I would sit there and say, can you play this or can you play that? And, and you could tell you were writing things down like I'm going to get to that. Well, I, I loved being able to fill requests. And so even if it was only a few bars, that really, I don't know, it's just set me off. That was just the kind of thing I love to do. I loved the interaction with people, with the fans. And actually, when the new park was built, um, management said, well, do you want to be outdoors or would you like to be enclosed, warmer in a booth upstairs? And you said, no, I want to be with the people. I definitely, I had to feel the pulse of the fans and the game. So they did kind of build a booth, but I had a door and I kept the door open at all times. Because you were kind of in wide open air Originally, at the old ballpark. Oh, it was great. And then they put you basically in a glass case. So then you were propping the door open. I remember that because I was old. By the time that you got to the new ballpark, now I'm a teenager and I would walk by and I would be like, they put her in a glass well, case. Like I was upset they put you in a glass okay, case. Okay, well, I'll tell you what I, I thought was that upset was ridiculous. About. Well, I had a big window behind me, so I was able to turn around and talk to people. But after a few years, a popcorn machine replaced was. So they blocked you. Mm-hmm. That's when I made sure the door was open at all yeah. times. Yeah. So, were but, they doing yeah. that on purpose? You're trying to hide you? I wouldn't ask, and I don't. I don't know what. I don't know motives out there. But um, I must say, I had wonderful years there. I no no violins for me. Well, Harold Baines mentioned you in his Hall of Fame speech, and you did two notes while a, <laughs> while a ball was bouncing between the hair and the old and an entire ballpark. 
would light up in Chan Herald. And you know, how does that come about? Is that something that you plan with the graphics person? No, Is that something that you're... Nothing at all, but I just saw that graphic up there with the bouncing ball, and I thought perhaps I'll put a little music to it. So then I guess the fans started associating that music, which was da 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 Harold, Harold. It was just something to throw along. Yeah, it became a thing. At some point, you would do it, and there wouldn't even be the graphic. Yes, People exactly. knew what it was. And no, without the, you're yeah. so true. Eventually, we didn't need the graphic. But um, I never knew what Harold thought, because when Harold started playing, and I had I found out that his reputation was that he didn't like to be interviewed, and he was shy. So I used to play He's So Shy when he'd come to bed. I knew that was one of his songs. <laughs> I think he was also number three, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Was he? Yeah, he was number three. So I probably played um, like My Three Sons. Or <laughs> There's one song that still permeates through the ballpark, even though you're not there anymore. And that's the na-na-na-na, hey-hey, goodbye. They still sing it? Uh, you still get it. They still will pump through, uh, probably a recording of you, but they will pump it through. Well, okay. I do know my recording of Take Me Out to the Ball Game is still That used, one's still there as well. I'm flattered. Yes, you're right. Thank you, that White one is Sox. still there as well. So you have you have those two. So that's the the taste of Nancy Faust. Either where they're doing the na 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 or they're doing the Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Um, when you came up with that, was the na 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 originally? And I know you've probably answered this in interviews before. Was it originally for home runs or was it originally? because they had chased the pitcher, because it was used for both. You know, the first time I played it, and I, I can tell you when it is, you can listen to it, it was July 29th, 1977, when we were playing um, Kansas City, vying for first place. And I, um, well, so on the way to a ball game, I know this is how this happened. I'd hear a song on the radio, and I remember thinking, ooh, they say goodbye in that song. That could be a good strikeout song. So I play, I'd write, as I'm driving, I'm right, C, E flat, B flat, C, just to remind myself of those are the chords that go along with the song. And I'm sure I must have used it then, but I used it when um, a pitcher struck out. I mean, a batter struck out. It okay. was goodbye. Oh, okay. And everybody sang along. And then somehow it evolved into taking the bat, the pitcher out. Yeah, because when the pitcher would leave, I still think one of the loudest times oh, I ever great. heard that screamed was game one of the first series against Boston in 2005. Matt Clement was a former <laughs> Cubs pitcher. He gets chased in the game, and as he came off the mound, I never heard that song sung louder by White Sox fans in my life. There was all that excitement. They felt like they had the team that year, which they ended up having in 05, and here's a guy who was a former Cub who was coming off the mound after they'd shelled him against Boston in game one, and I always thought that was one of the loudest times that I ever heard it, so I always associated it with the pitchers being removed, even though it happened during home runs as well. I didn't realize, I didn't realize that that would be a great thing to do. I just yeah. thought it was a goodbye, and in fact, uh, when when I played it that night and everybody sang along, it was just pretty awesome. And I walked to the bar's room and a reporter said, what was that that you play? Everybody sang. And I didn't even know the right words. I said, oh, that's called Sha Na Na. That's what I thought the name of it was. But I, <laughs> but I knew there was a goodbye and yeah. that would be good for a strikeout. But it just did evolve into that was the perfect um, song. So there was a point in time, and I want to say it was probably in the early 90s, where I started hearing less of you and more of the pre-canned music. Because I know Frank Thomas used to like to walk up to the Stone Temple Pilot song. That, like, I, that sticks out to me. So I know that there was a point in time where you almost were just doing the visitors. Every once in a while you would have a home player, but it, it just started, started to flip. So how does that? How did that start happening? Was it more the players wanted it? Well, was the there... ability for a DJ to do that now, where he could call up a song right there, you know, any song. So the ability for a DJ to do that, plus... 
now the management can say to the players, what would you like to hear? You know, so the, the focus switched from what the fans might identify with to what the player wants to hear to give him inspiration. And before that, I don't believe their players were even in tune to what was being played. But this so created, you you kind of feel like they didn't even notice you playing when they were coming up to the the players. The I don't think they did. You don't think I, so. I think I would have received some play some okay. pushback or whatever yeah. you call it. Yeah, they're so focused they're not paying attention. But then all of a sudden, walk up music begins. Yes, and it now, becomes a thing where the players like want to personalize their stuff, and, and it becomes yeah. interesting. And I think the fans go, "Oh, what song does this player like?" And so now there's a real focus on what it is that a player likes to hear, and the we have the ability to play their music, which creates um their performance to the be- to the max i guess <laughs> but but on the other hand like i get that i get that with the players when they're doing that on the other hand, I always loved the fact you still did it with the visitors because you oh, could kind of poke fun with them. Well, I had to reinvent myself. I thought, yeah. now what can I, I want to have to keep playing. I don't want to just sit here. I have to earn my keep. So I just picked a song for every visiting player. And uh, that was kind of um, fun because it was we're switching up all the time. Yeah, you're constantly getting something that's new. Absolutely. And, but then, you know, eventually now it just seems like the modernness of promoting baseball, let's say, or the fan experience kind of starts to push. You know, and I, I, I'm going to tell you something right now. I was at the game just recently with my dad and I knew that I was going to be talking to you. And I said, I'm going to, I'm going to sit down with Nancy Faust. And I said, and I'm going to talk to her. And I said, you know, she mentioned to me, like I mentioned here at the beginning of the interview, she doesn't understand like why anybody would want to hear from her. And I, I know that right now, if I had a Nancy Faust playing in this ballpark, if, if there was somebody who was interacting with the fans in that way, it would be an improvement on what's going on. I believe that, Nancy. I really do. I'm not just saying that because I'm sitting in your in your house and you offer me something to drink. It's not it's not just that, okay? And you showed Maybe me, it wasn't strong enough. And you showed me your donkey, okay? I mean, like, I, like, you didn't butter me up enough to make this up. I really, I think that that's something that's missing right now from the ballpark experience. If you have so many canned things and the music is always canned and there's all these promo packages, they all kind of just blur together. And there's that intimacy of being able to kind of like, play something, react to what the fans are doing, react to the mood in the ballpark, right? Like if they plan out in the seventh inning, they're going to play something in between the seventh and the eighth inning. But now all of a sudden the game's a laugher one way or the other. It's easier to have that live person who can react to things. Well, I think the spontaneity is gone. I'm sure that um, there's music that could never be ever thought to be called up that I can think of, you know, that, that, you know, the jingles or, I don't know, just songs that... I can play, but I have to say that not every organist plays by ear, so I was really in my wheelhouse. I, that was the perfect job for me. If you had to refer to music, you'd, which some do, some you know, then you wouldn't have the time to be spontaneous. Did you want to be done? Would you go back and do it now if they asked you? Well, I think I'd like to go back for a turn back the clock day. It'd be yeah. fun. And you know that would be fun. The kind of getting it with, again with the crowd and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, for turn back the clock, okay. you know, just to be authentic and hear some real music. I want you there all 81 games. How do I get that done? <laughs> well, it's a, it was a dimension of entertainment that some enjoyed quite a bit. I right. Think. And I guess that by the time I retired, because I was there 41 long, wonderful years, I didn't expect to, you know, to ever play again because I thought... Organist days were done. I kind of got those vibes, but actually, they're being revived in some parks, and they're doing a great job. Were you one of the first organists inside of a ballpark, or was that something that was normal? And you just were like, 
I, I think I was the first to play f situational music and rock music. Okay, so some people are just sitting there and they're just playing basic like, that's all they're doing. And you, yeah. you come in and you do that whole personality based interact with the fans, the popular music, things like that. I guess you could say that. Okay, so you're a pioneer. Thanks, all right, I'm gonna give you that. I'm gonna give you that. So, but now, now you're seeing that people like nostalgia and people are doing this and you're seeing it in other sports venues. And so, like I said, it seems yeah. like something that it wouldn't yeah. be, wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to, to bring back the originator and let, and let people kind of see what it, how it's done. Well, it's novel for some people like your son, Dominic. I mean, for him to come in here and organize, that would be kind of a novelty. And right. I, he has short, no idea who you are. Short, I short attention spans. <laughs> it'd be nice for a, a year, maybe, you know, but um, yeah. But you know, it's funny because you said, you remember your dad bringing you there? Yeah. Well, it, I, I was there so long that pretty soon these old guys are going telling their kids, you know, I I was here when I was your age and these are grandpas, you know, and they're telling their grandchildren, yeah. oh, Sonny, when I was your age, I had heard Nancy play on the organ. So I thought, well, I guess I have been here quite some time. <laughs> this is my third generation I'm working on. But um, I realize there's still quite a few people out there that remember and I'm thrilled. And I, I guess I didn't realize that until I went on Twitter and Got saw the nice Twitter feedback. saw the people got excited about yeah. you. And then this podcaster reaches out and says, I'll drive all the way to your home and yeah. sit down and talk with you. Well, uh, I want to say thanks so much for having me here. The idea that you had a room with organs in it is exactly <laughs> what I kind of pictured. You know, <laughs> folks, it's just like the, the nicest house. Oh, okay. And then you walk in and then you just get into this one room and it's she's tiny. <laughs> you probably could have boxes of memorabilia up on the walls and you've just got a couple of things that you like you're proud of and then you've got your your organs here and you tell me that you know you'll you'll record videos for people and she was telling me this story if you don't mind me sharing with people your dog oh cooper cooper gets a treat yes when you do a cameo and play think take me out to the ball you're, game and he's so used to that so that now he howls if you play it he's gonna howl uh -huh. So uh, should I capture, play capture a couple that? songs, but make sure we get the dog howling at All some right. point. Okay, Nancy Faust, everybody. Heard everywhere a podcast can be found and always on socksinthebasement.com.